Hello and welcome to the Hardcard Podcast, recorded and filmed at Authentic Collectibles HQ in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. This podcast will be a series of interviews with influential people from around the world of motorsport, and they don't get all that much more influential than our first guest, Dr. Ryan Story, team principal at Dick Johnson Racing. Ryan, welcome. You're a very worthy first ever Hardcard guest, and welcome also back to Supercars, because we really didn't see much of you over the last couple of years. You burst back onto the scene on the Gold Coast last October. You've since reclaimed the role of team principal at DJR and bought an engine shop. So instead of a question, I'm going to start with an assumption. You missed us. Clearly. And it's great to be with you, AVL, and with our friends at Authentic Collectibles. I'm not entirely sure that I'm a worthy first guest. I'm going to try to not be so monotonous and bore your listeners and viewers. You are definitely never boring. Um, what did you miss about supercars? Did you miss the racing did you miss the winning? Did you miss the politics? Did you miss all of the above? What was it that, that brought you back? Well, it's a bit of all the above. I mean, I've had some health challenges along the way. Um, I just sort of think back to this time last year, I was walking around with a cane. It was pretty pretty tough going. Uh, but uh, yeah, having bounced back and being a frustrated watcher from the couch, uh, it's, it's one of those things where if you want to do things and want to make a change, you sometimes have to roll up your sleeves and get in. But I thought I owed it to the Ralphs. Um, obviously, Brett and Sean Ralph have been been owners with DJ and myself in Dick Johnson Racing and the Shell V Power Racing team for just over 12 months now. And uh, also with David Noble joining the team as CEO, I didn't really give him much of a handover because I wasn't in a position to be able to do that. So I really wanted to get my hands dirty, get back in there and uh, do the best, not only for all of, not only for our team, of course, and for our partners, but uh, the many supporters of DJR right across the country. I did want to just touch on the health issues quickly because we know that they do have the potential to keep you away uh, from the track. Um, for some of us in the paddock, we, uh, you know, I will admit we do actually care about your well-being. It does get a bit worrying when you go into dark mode and disappear at, for large chunks of time. How are you going now? Are you sort of fit and healthy and raring to get back into it and, as you say, get your hands dirty? Yeah, doing doing really well. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I've been living in the dino cell for the last couple of months so uh, inhaling all of those, all of that goodness. Uh, but yeah, it, things, things are agreeing with me at the moment and I'm really excited to be back. How did you go? I think I know the answer to this question already, but how did you go on the sidelines? You know, we had the parity issues with Ford. Obviously, DJR heavily connected to that as the Ford homologation team. There were teething issues in general with the Gen 3 platform. DJR, you know, let's be blunt, wasn't performing at the level that we expect of that team. How were the frustration levels and what role did that play in, in you coming back? Frustration levels were pretty high. I mean, we've got some fantastic people at our organisation. We've got a tremendous quantum of support, which we never take for granted, but the people are really what make the difference. And for me, it was, yeah, it was a frustrating time. And, and what, what I think was the hallmark of my time previously at the helm of the team was giving the people the resources, getting the best people you can and giving them the resources and the wherewithal to, to do the job. So that's really, that's really my MO. That's what I'm all about in terms of a leadership role and responsibility. And, and that's precisely how I plan to endeavour and embark upon, uh, I suppose, my second stint as team principal of, of this fantastic team. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating seeing the enormity of the effort that went into the preparation for Gen 3 from the team and from the engineering guys. And then also through the course of 2023, we were often at the racetrack testing and doing things as the homologation team that were above and beyond. When you walk up and down pit lane and talk to people at other teams, they talk about the, the stress and the challenges that they had with Gen 3. 
yet they didn't have the burden of being the homologation to go along with that. So we had a lot of guys who didn't get much of a Christmas break, certainly over the 2023-2024 year, but in addition to that, at the start of 2023 as well. So it's, it's been incredibly taxing on our people, but uh, we want to ensure that they have every opportunity to return to the top. It's not going to be an overnight effort. It's going to take some time, but uh, it starts now. We're meant to be closing in on parity between the two cars. Now the noise out of windshear um, was that the aero is pretty good. Uh, the engine work is ongoing, literally, as we're talking now. Um, there's cars running around Queensland Raceway doing more engine work. Uh, give us a lowdown on where things are at on all of those fronts uh, in your eyes. Well, Gen 3 was a very uh, difficult and monstrous challenge for the whole category. It's effectively starting from a clean sheet of paper. The first time that's really happened since 1993 in the reintroduction of the Group A five-litre category that we saw back then, back when we were all in short pants. But uh, it was a monumental challenge and monumental effort. And I think with the race consortium taking over the series, they inherited something that still required a significant degree of investment and a significant amount of work. We obviously had the teething issues and challenges of 2023 with the dreaded P word that uh, became part of our vocabulary again in a most uh, unfortunate way. But credit where it's due, these guys have invested and done it the right way. I mean, we all would have liked to have seen that happen in the lead up to the introduction in 2023. But as DJ famously says, all you get from looking back is a sore neck. But the reality is these guys have done the right thing. We've gone to windshield. From an aero perspective, we have a level playing field. We've done an enormous amount of work on the engine side of things since, well, really since we took over that, uh, that program at the beginning of December. And supercars have been very supportive through that, particularly with Tim Edwards obviously coming in as the director of motorsport, or general manager of motorsport rather. The, those titles change uh, when the people do. It's, it's a challenging one to keep up with, but uh, Tim's, been, Tim's been phenomenal in that role. And so is Craig Hastead. I mean, Craig's a very passionate guy. He's incredibly good at what he does. These guys, these guys basically want us to be able to go racing. And, and really, as a technical parity formula, we really want to go racing and have the best team and best driver win on the day. So that's the, that's the, the shining light on the hill that we're heading towards. And uh, I've got every confidence that we'll get there. You've fought a parity war with Ford before, but kind of on the other side when the Gen 2 Mustang came into the series and was uh, pretty bloody fast. Um, this time around, you know, there, there was certainly a sense from some Ford teams that there was some resistance from some quarters about whether there was a parity issue or not, you know, in the first part of last season. You know, in your opinion, was there any factor of maybe some wounds from 2019 not being entirely healed when it came to to the Blue Oval and, and, and presenting a new race car and parity perhaps not being exactly right? Well, 2019 was a different set of circumstances. It didn't constitute as much change as what we saw heading into 2023. But I think sometimes what we take for granted is the level of investment that Ford Motor Company and Ford Performance have in our category. And that's not to say that they should be treated differently, but it certainly warrants respect. And I think that one of the things that is epitomised in pit lane and in, and in business everywhere really is, I, I suppose, the difference between self-interest and best interest. Some people, and the way I like to operate is self-interest is the micro, best interest is the macro. That's not necessarily the case with everyone. And sometimes you have to drag people kicking and screaming to the promised land to recognize what's really right in front of them. So I think it's fair to say that some mistakes were made and we perhaps didn't put our best foot forward. I think that Blind Freddy could tell you that. And, and there, isn't anyone, there isn't anyone without some blood on their hands when it comes to the outcome of the racing that we saw last year. And there was an enormous amount of effort that went into redressing that imbalance. 
there's a great Renda Garris saying, um, South Australian political historians will know who Renda Garris is, a great man. But uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's it's a really difficult thing to watch. It's frustrating to watch. There's rules that we sign up to when we go racing. So we we have the parity review process that constitutes five out of eight races triggering with a when you distill a lap time down to 60 seconds and when there's a delta between the, the top cars of 0.1 of a second on that 60 seconds second distilled lap. It's not a case of saying, well, hang on a minute, there's more gold at the at the front of the grid than there is blue. And we look at the race race results and there's more gold on the podium than there is blue. There's there's more behind it. And that parity review system dates back to the, the old Tiga days. So we, we have to follow the rules that we, we sign up to. And where there are parallels to 2019 is that there was a methodical process that was take that took place in 2019 and to be fair some flexibility from from me at the time in making modifications to the mustang that uh, we didn't necessarily have to do at that point in time so when the roles were reversed uh, it was a different set of circumstances but we we played within the rules we understood what those challenges were and what they entailed and with the two parity triggers that we saw, we put the best foot forward that we possibly could. And, and as we saw at the end of last year, it resulted in, in four wins for the Blue Oval on the trot, which was, was a fantastic outcome. But let's, let's see how we go with the level playing field. We've got some fantastic Blue Oval teams, some fantastic teams representing full performance and, and, and also uh, some fantastic drivers on, on, on the Blue Oval side. So let's not, let's not get confused with some of the, uh, the real white noise in this situation, which is the politicking and the lobbying talking about uh, the differences between technical parity and sporting parity. We have the rules and conditions whereby we can separate that out as best as we can. And, and that's, again, that's what we all sign up to play for every year. So let's see how we go. Having been at Windshear, best practice, uh, an environment where there was a significant degree of cooperation between the homologation teams, especially. Supercar operated and ran that program very, very well. Aerodynamic, the new aerodynamicist partner for the series, have done a tremendous job as well in, in the lead up to that test. It was a, it was a fairly uh, fairly long bow to draw to bring in a new partner at the 11th hour. But uh, we, we ended up with a very good platform at the end of that. Changes to both cars, which, uh, which is significant. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to go racing. But there's obviously more work to do. And it's important and incumbent upon us to hold everyone to account, just as just as much as the fans should hold us to account, just as much as the series could, should hold us to account as the Ford homologation team. We all have a responsibility to each other and to our many fans out there to do the best job that we can and ensure that we can ensure that we can make that uh, that dreaded parody word. We can make sure it's dead, buried, and cremated. Part of that ongoing work is in your own engine shop. Um, you know, DJR has effectively taken over the homologation and supplier of the Ford engines in what was the Herod shop before. Um, I'm not sure it was a coincidence that that happened just as you burst back onto the scene uh, towards the end of last season. Can you give us some insight into that and into your role of this, you know, significant change in, in the way the homologation supply of, of these Ford products is, is occurring? It's certainly a shift. Um, Basically, what happened towards the end of last year, uh, particularly as we came out of Bathurst, is that it was clear from a parity perspective that we had some issues not only on the aero side but also on the engine side. So there was there's a lot of smart engineers in pit lane. There's a lot of smart engineers working on in other Ford teams. They recognised that there was there was an issue that needed to be addressed. And not to take anything away from Rob Herod in setting up that program. Uh, Every, every team had uh, two engines per car at the start of the 2023 season and we got to go racing. 
but uh, I had the good fortune of talking to Roger Penske after his Daytona 24 hour win on the weekend. And we were reflecting on the situation and he said one of his oft repeated lines that uh, sometimes there are people in the racing business as opposed to being racers. And what it needed was the impetus to take it that next step to invest, to really assess and understand where perhaps, uh, perhaps some deficiencies are and do everything that it takes to get that program up to snuff. And that's how we ended up where we are. It was, it was a decision that was driven by the teams and uh, we, were in, we were in the best place position at that point in time as the homologation team and previously operating the engine facility in Yadla to take that on. So not only, just, not only just from a financial and engineering perspective, but having the wherewithal to be able to take that on and hit the ground running with it. So from the 1st of December, when we took on that program, we've doubled the staff effectively overnight, which I think was an important step. And we've thrown engineering resources at it. I've been there every day working with Bobby Irvin, who's done a brilliant job through the program. He really has. He's someone who deserves an enormous amount of credit. And when we see Blue Oval success through the course of this season, he's someone who is, is it's largely responsible for that rebound. So we're, we're really excited to see where we land. We've, we've had a couple of days out at QR. We've had a day doing straight line testing at Southport where we commissioned the torque sensors that the series has invested in. They're a fantastic step for us to have a greater understanding of what's actually getting back to the rear wheels. But we've gone through a fundamental process of really understanding the idiosyncrasies of this engine and the platform that we have, working hand in hand with the Ford Performance Powertrains team in the United States to really get a handle on what it takes to make this engine tick, what it takes to effectively have a level playing field with this thing, where we have an engine that is a completely different architecture to the pushrod uh, GM engine that's being run that's that's more akin to what we've seen in in the category in years gone by compared to a modern quad cam uh, engine that we have in the 5.4 litre coyote so it's 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 a it's a paradigm shift for us it's a, it's taken quite a bit of understanding in terms of how to how to get the most out of this engine and control the platform and one of the things that that's fair to say is that the rule set the rigorous rule set that exists with the aep and epwa system in supercars is one that basically requires you to meet a certain certain condition with the engine in terms of its power and its torque. So the way in which we were achieving that uh, perhaps didn't make the most and maximise the opportunity and the potential of the Coyote engine, and that's something that we've sought to address. You mentioned staffing in that engine shop. Are you sort of finished staffing that now? Have you got the leadership structure there in terms of how it's managed, whose ultimate responsibility it is, all that sort of stuff because, you know, there was there was some talk about, you know, ensuring that there was some separation between the race team and the engine side of the business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's silos in place already. So the data that's received by the engine shop team is really health and vitals. So the, the undertaking that we've had through the course of the last few months to understand where we are, we've relied on data from DJR, where we have full channels, we have, we have data from the races where we can actually really deep dive and, and understand what's happening with this thing when we're when it's being basically raced in anger. We haven't been able to use data from the other teams in that environment because that's not what we're getting. So we get we get the live telemetry of basically the health and vital channels and that doesn't that doesn't in any way provide DJR with any sort of performance advantage or any sort of insight in any capacity. However, to that degree, what we've worked on with supercars is codifying the channels that we receive so that there's some confidence with the teams that there are some there are barriers and there are walls in place there. Separate to that, the systems that are operate that the engine shop actually operate with are separate to DJRs. But even if they weren't, there's really nothing to be gained from that from that 
from that pool there really. But uh, what we've what we've sought to do is really put in place put in place the parameters so that that organisation and that group can run separately, still utilise some engineering resource. However, we have a dedicated engine shop engineer working working with the facility at the moment, which is a, a definite shift from where we've been. At the moment, I'm running it day to day. I've been spending more time focused on the engine side of things than on DJR proper and that will transition over the course of the next few weeks and we're still in the process of recruiting to ensure that we have the right people in the right places in in, in that side of the organization speaking of the right people in the right places you know as part of the staffing reshuffle right at the end of last year uh, Ludo uh, Lacroix departed the team you know he's been such a high profile part of DJR since you lured him over from Triple Eight all those years ago was this a case of it just being you know, the time being right for you guys to head in a different direction in terms of your technical leadership at the team? Yeah, Ludo's a phenomenal character and personality and he's got a trophy lifts, a tro- trophy shelf that's the envy of anyone who's who has any involvement in this in this industry and in this, in this business. But uh, sometimes all good things come to an end and things run its course and it, it was a tough decision to make a change like the one that we did. These things don't come easily, but... Uh, he, he's he's found green, greener pastures. We're going in a different direction. I think it's going to be exciting to see what he achieves at Premier. They're a great organisation. Peter Zibris is a terrific fellow and a guy who's hungry and passionate for success. And Ludo will really thrive in that environment. So we wish him well. But yeah, it's a new chapter for us. We're really excited about it. We've got some fantastic people within our organisation. I mean, we're, our expectations for 2024 as a Shell V Power Racing team, I believe, are realistic. We want to stand on the top top step of the podium. We want to show that we have consistent competitiveness, but we're a long way from being in that place. So it required some changes, it required some tough decisions, and we're not finished making those tough decisions. The way in which we go about operating our business, it's fair to say that the focus for us internally for no short, short, short passage passage of time now has been on the Ford homologation team side of things. That's certainly been the entirety of my focus since coming back full time within the organization in late October there. So it's really been, uh, it's really been, the great emphasis for a significant part of our group, and that will tra- change and transition as we're able to finally bury the parity word and, and get on with things. But we don't take those responsibilities lightly. But at the same time, we have to be conscious of ensuring that we have the capacity to compete. That's what we, that's what we, that's ultimately what our bread and butter is. It's the outcomes that we have on Saturdays and Sundays at race weekends across Australia and in Taupo throughout the course of this season. We're not, we're not shy of the challenges that are facing us, and we're also not stupid enough to realise that we've got an enormous amount of work to do. We're not, we're not shying away from that challenge. We're a year into the David Noble experiment, and I call it an experiment because you know he came from a completely different sporting world, the AFL, into a high-profile motorsport job. From the outside, he seems very impressive as a leader and a person, but. Man, he's had a baptism of fire with the parody staff and, you know, DJR's up and down yeah. form. How do you rate uh, his, you know, I mean, it's more than a year, but let's say his first year in the job from your position inside the team? Yeah, look, it's been very challenging for him. David's a great operator. I mean, the reason why we brought him in and the reason, I mean, I was the one who ultimately picked him to join our organisation is that he's a fantastic sports administrator. He's forgotten more about administering good teams than what most people know. And that's really what he brings. Yes, he's not from motorsport, but that's not what we needed at the top of the tree. I mean, I had shortcomings in running that organisation and through the through the time that I did from 2013 through to 2020, and he he and his skill set, skill set effectively address a lot of those shortcomings. 
He's had a baptism of fire to motorsport, no, no question. But the way in which he goes about his business, he's very methodical. He's fantastic at building a culture. He's great at building a team. He's, he's really solid with the people. That's, that's his great strength. And he's learning more about motorsport all the time. I think we make a fantastic team. We work together very, very well. And Brett Ralph is a great, a great addition to that. We're, we're, we make a pretty good triumvirate when, uh, when we're all working together and pushing in the same direction, which is something that we're able to do now. So there's, from my point of view, there's a fair degree of, uh, I suppose, uh, I suppose a comprehension that, that me not being around has in no small part been part of the reason why it's been a baptism of fire for someone like David coming in from the outside. And I have to take responsibility for that, and I have. And that's part of the reason why we're, we're looking at moving forward in this new chapter now. We interviewed David for our KTM Summer Grill Series over over the off-season. And I asked him about Kai Allen and the way he spoke about the development of talent was – I've never heard anyone in motor racing talk about stages of development of talent like he did. Like, it is quite – it's refreshing on one hand, but it's fascinating to see someone with a completely different lens on on athletes uh, and performance, you know, have their say about how they're going about the business. Are you finding the same watching him work? And in the, there's times we go, oh, that's different, but interesting. Absolutely. I mean, his, his understanding of people capital and the importance of development for athletes, both both as they get to the premier to the premier level and, and then as they depart too, but also with people who are working within the organisation and, and the structure that that, that that ultimately encompasses. It is a breath of fresh air. It's a skill set that's very unique in our pit lane. And there's a reason, I mean, imitation is the, the sincerest form of flattery. There's a reason why two other teams have, have looked to replicate the structure that we're, we're introducing. It's now, the, it's now incumbent upon us to, to see success with, with this structure that we have. But what he brings to the table and his understanding of that athlete development is something that is very unique to our business. And he's very serious about it, but he's got the runs on the board in doing that. In his time, obviously, he's, 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 known, he's known for being a coach, but his, his career path in terms of working in football departments and running football departments for, for AFL teams at the top level is nothing short of fascinating. Like he, he deals with more than just two athletes in, in his previous life. And that's a perspective that's quite, quite interesting. And the way in which he speaks about Kai Allen, that's a, that's a gen, there's a genuine passion there in terms of what he's talking about in bringing someone like that on and giving them the opportunities and ensuring that, ensuring that not only does there he have the right opportunities to come yeah. on board, but that we are conscious of what happens as part of the athlete's journey, as part of the driver's journey, the, the, the times in which they face various challenges and then how they're able to develop and pick, up, pick themselves up from those. It's, it's something that's... that's it's certainly, it's certainly a unique addition, and it's a welcome addition too. But like I said, it extends beyond the drivers. It's throughout the organisation. It's looking at career development and pathways, training and development for staff. It's something that otherwise, it's not that we, it's not that we've been blinded to it, or, or that we haven't been invested in it uh, in the past as racers and and in doing what we do. But he puts a greater emphasis on it based on the background and history that he has and the success that he's been able to develop, been able to effectively encompass and forest and foster rather in that in in, the, in in those environments speaking of kai allen where do you see him fitting in with the team's plans in the next couple of years i mean he kind of put you in a tough spot by going and winning the super two championship in his first year probably a year earlier than you you might have thought he was going to do that he's going back to super two to defend that title and you know again we spoke to him for the summer grill he talked about his goals being more about maybe not 
accumulating points to win a title but going out there and showing how fast you can actually be. But you must be already thinking longer term about how you fit this bright young talent into your business. Yeah, look, he's a, he's a, he is a prodigious and tremendous talent and he's, he's got great opportunities ahead of him. He's someone who I think has an opportunity to be part of our organisation long term and we'll just have to see how that plays out over the, over the, uh, over the fullness of time, so to speak. But uh, as I've mentioned before, he's someone who came to our attention thanks to Paul Morris. Paul's someone who rates him very, very highly and, and his, uh, the way in which Paul's able to use the, the, the water sticks to find driver talent, it's nothing short of extraordinary. I mean, you look at the guys who have had success in this business over the, over the past decade, really. He's had a, he's had a touch in, in their success along the way, for sure. I mean, Brody, Brody, uh, Brock Feeney, rather, Brody Kostecki, obviously, even, even Shane Van, Van Gisberg and uh, Scott McLaughlin. Uh, Scott went and spent some time over at Norwell working out how to, uh, how to get his starts right back in 2017. I mean, this, this is a guy who is a talent spotter and knows how to develop talent and has the ultimate wraps for someone uh, like Kai Allen. So that's what got him on our radar. We obviously had the opportunity to put him in our car a couple of times on driver development days. And someone like Ben Croke, who's also pretty good at spotting talent, and you think about some of the people who Ben's worked with through the course of his career, he knows, he knows the guys who have got the potential to take it all away. He's, he's someone who recognised pretty quickly that this is a guy who's worthy of an opportunity. So we're really excited to see what he does this year. And I think, I think you're right. He, he won the title. He won the Super 2 title last year. And, and it's one of those things where you, you want him to have that success, but you also want him to encounter some difficulties and some hard, hardship to develop the calluses that you want these young blokes to when they're getting started. But, uh, yeah, he's a real talent. He's someone to keep an eye on for the future for sure. As we sit here uh, recording this, all indications are that Brody Kostecki won't be on the supercars grid this year. Shane's gone overseas. Scotty Mack's gone overseas. Cam Waters is talking about going overseas. Is this something that supercars should be concerned about or is it just a sign that, you know, the series is developing the sort of talent that can look to the wider world and and, and eye success in other parts of the world? What's your sort of take on that? Well, it's interesting. I think you can interpret it both ways. I think that it's fantastic that supercars is recognised as a as a proving ground for young talent and great talent. Really, uh, every time every time I see Scott McLaughlin race in the United States, I'm incredibly proud of the role that we played in in getting him to that level. And every time I talk to someone like Roger Penske or Tim Sindrick, we reflect on on the journey, so to speak. But uh, at the same time, I think that your your uh, intrepid columnist Roland Dane has hit the nail on the head in that we need to recognise the drivers as the talent in our industry. We need to not only give them a voice, but we need to be prepared to listen to it. I mean, in the early days of the Gen 3 development, this is something that I've not talked about publicly before, in the early days of the Gen 3 development, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen hopped behind the wheel of the prototype and jumped out of it pretty early because he was uncomfortable. I then went and paid out of my own pocket to have the prototype chassis modified to better accommodate tall drivers. Now, that was in a... That was under a previous guise, and that was a lot of water's gone on under the bridge since then. But to me, that was that was a pretty pretty sad indictment on our sport that we weren't prepared at that point in time to listen to our reigning champion about what he needed from a race car. It wasn't an un, it wasn't by any means an unreasonable request. Why in that situation did a team owner have to pay out of his own pocket to change and modify a prototype owned by the series? Now, like I said, we've come a long way since then and full credit to race their board and the supercars board for recognising some of these 
some of these challenges and some of these decisions in the past that haven't necessarily been the right ones, I don't think at least. But we really do need to ensure that we recognise who the talent actually is in this category. But at the same time, we can't be remiss of the fact that within our organisations, we have uh, there are different different levels throughout pit lane. There's teams that have only a handful of staff, a dozen staff, other teams that have the better part of 50, we're one of those teams. A team is, as DJ says, together everyone achieves more. There's a lot of people behind an organisation, but there's only one bloke behind the wheel. And we need to listen to those guys, and if we do, we'll have a better sport as a consequence. Um, similar thought wave, sort of talking more holistically about, you know, the entire championship in the future. We're a couple of years out from a new TV deal. They're obviously critical for the sport. What does the category need to do between now and then to be where it needs to be to, you know, get the sort of TV deal together that'll keep us all moving forwards, I suppose? Well, it's pretty simple. We're, we're in show business, right? Uh, if there's no show, there's no business. So we need to ensure that we have a great on-track spectacle. We can't have races like the Bathurst 1000 last year, the Repco Bathurst 1000, where we got to the end and we were all watching it going, please, when's the safety car going to come out? This thing is like watching paint dry. We need to get away from that. And there is an incredible emphasis on that in terms of what we're seeing with race formats this year, obviously talking about what the tyre looks like in the future. Everyone has a vested interest for, for our industry and our sport to be successful. And it feels, to me at least, that we have everyone pointing in the same direction at the moment for the first time in what feels like a long time. I reflected on it earlier that the attitude and the sense of urgency and camaraderie that went into the wind shear, the, the wind shear tests, wind shear 1 and wind shear 2.0, I think was a highlight of, of how everyone wants to, see, wants to see good racing, quality racing, and want, we really want to put the past behind us. So we've got to ensure that we put on a great show and a great spectacle. And at the moment, like I said, it's fantastic to see so many people within our, within our sport, within our organisations, pointing in the same direction. Just, um, you know, I can't ignore the whole Brody situation that's going on as we're recording this. Whichever way that lands for 2024, I think there's, it's fair to say that he's going to be up for grabs uh, in 2025. And I think given what we've seen from him, um, surely there wouldn't be a team principal slash team owner that wouldn't have that on their radar. I know the DJR line about contracts and not talking about it and all this sort of stuff, but you know, there is an assumption that you might have a couple of guys coming off contract. Does, does this Brody thing capture your attention at all? Well, I mean, it does for obvious reasons. He's the reigning champion. He deservedly won the championship last year. He did a phenomenal job in, in, in the way in which he prosecuted his campaign to win. It was phenomenal. So even the thought that he might not be on the grid this year is an absolute tragedy and something that we all need to be conscious of. And I'm sure that his phone's ringing off the hook. I mean, he's probably, I'm, I'm sure that there's probably been times since you broke the story, AVL, that he's uh, put the thing in do not disturb mode and uh, hope that, that, that it's not radiating uh, heat from being white hot as, it, as, it, as, as I'm sure it was at the time. But yeah. I know how bad my phone was going, so I can only imagine how his was yeah, going. Yeah, I'm sure it would have been a, a fairly hectic time and can probably continues to be for him, but uh, it's 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 not a great situation for any of us. We want to see a kid who's worked as hard as he has to get to the pinnacle of motorsport in Australia continue to do what he's, what he's best at. So he's obviously got some opportunities in NASCAR this year with Richard Childress, which is fantastic, and I'm sure that he'll do incredibly well at those. But uh, we need to see a kid like that on the grid. He's a prodigious talent. That's where he deserves to be. 
Let's finish up with the Authentic Collectibles Top 10 Shootout. These are just 10 rapid-fire questions, which may or may not largely be about uh, collectibles and that sort of stuff. Um, the first question, I already know the answer to this one. Who was your sporting idol growing up? Peter Brock. No, <laughs> Dick Johnson. <laughs> Richard Francis Johnson. <laughs> uh, did, did you ever collect any memorabilia as a kid, you know, posters, trading cards, you know, anything like that? All of it, all of the above. So I remember when uh, when a competitor to Authentics started releasing models in the in the late nineties, um, in fact mid nineties rather. The first model card that I had was a nineteen ninety five EF Shell FAI Dick Johnson Racing Falcon, and uh, and then later in life I managed to hit eBay and and buy a heap of the Dinkum Dinkum collectibles from earlier vintages, the EB and the Sierra, actually the Sierra was a tracks from memory. So I've still got all of that, but uh, I grew up on a farm in South Australia and had a heap of DJ memorabilia on the farm. Then when I went to uni, my mum took the opportunity to throw all of it out. So there's, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's quite a bit of uh, pretty interesting DJ memorabilia sitting in, in landfill, not landfill, not far from Yorktown, which is a terrible shame, but uh, I've managed to somehow replicate the collection and ended up at, at ending up at various stages, owning the, owning the team itself. So, I think I kind of did okay, but uh, yeah, got a got a, well, we can go got a huge amount of memorabilia. In fact, I'm auctioning off a lot of Formula One and, and DJR memorabilia later this year in the lead up to the Grand Prix with Donington Auctions. It's all going to charity, so uh, I hope people keep an eye out for that. Do you collect things from your own motorsport career? And this is a loaded question, so be careful how you answer this one. <laughs> no, APL, I do not. No, I, look, oh, I, really? I, no, of course I do. No, I actually have... <laughs> I can see over your sh shoulder there, there is a, yep. uh, a Shell V-Power Mustang. I happen to have one of yep. those in my office with uh, with my surname on the uh, on the windscreen. In fact, it's... <laughs> okay, so I wasn't, I told you it was a I wasn't aware that there's... Uh, I wasn't aware that there's uh, more than one model. In fact, I've subsequently been banned from driving the race cars because apparently I owe all of the boys a couple of slabs from the uh, from the... The witness marks and the uh, and the fifty cent piece marks on the tyres from from a bit of IFL. So that's something that I that's something I'm never allowed to live well, down. Now, now you uh, now you now you own the engine shop. You got to deal with the over revs as well when you uh, when you buzz the thing on the downshift. So that's, well, that's... To, to be fair, there there've only been a couple of a couple of buzzes because I've, I've, I've <laughs> my mechanical sympathy extends as far as the as far as the rims, but uh, not beyond that. But yeah, look, I've I've kept quite a quite a bit of stuff from over the years. Um, Certainly kept all the hard cards, just in keeping with with the the name of this this fantastic yeah. new uh, authentic collectibles supported uh, publication. But yeah, there's there's quite a bit of stuff I've kept over the years. I've got a pretty enviable collection, I suppose, of uh, of DJR memorabilia. What's your uh, What's your favourite collector's item that you've got in your uh, in your collection? I've got a few interesting things. Um, there's a few things that I I probably don't want to say that I have, but uh, <laughs> ooh. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things. There's a couple of interesting things from championship winning cars that I have in my collection. Uh, there's a couple of really interesting Formula One bits and pieces. I've got um, Senna helmets from championship years, heap of Schumacher helmets. I've got uh, wheel hubs from from uh, Braun GP World Championship winning car. I've got all sorts of different bits and pieces and interesting trinkets from uh, from Formula One and from supercars. Yeah. The next question was meant to be, if money was no object, what would be your ultimate piece of memorabilia? But given the fact you own the race team that you grew up idolising, we can probably skip over that one. Uh, what's the ultimate race car that you want to drive? We do know that you are a, at least a competent race, race car ooh, driver ooh, to some ooh, extent. Com 
Um, what's your uh, what's what's your, what's your ultimate race car you'd like to drive? Look, I can tell you, there's plenty of witnesses who will argue that that competent competent is something that needs to have a question mark after it. But uh, look, I'll, look, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with it. But uh, look, I'm a massive Sierra fan. Absolutely love the Sierras. wasn't wasn't uh, born early enough to see them race in anger, unfortunately. But uh, they're they're my favourite car by by a long way. That's something that uh, you know. There's there's a project that's been stewing with a great friend of ours, Paul Winfoot, for a little while now. That uh, that I definitely need to return my attention to at some stage. But uh, that's something that that I'm really excited about. That will come online at some stage. You've um you've worked with some pretty amazing people you know dick johnson roger penske um who else is out there in the in the motorsport sphere past or present that you that you'd really love to work with oh well it doesn't get any better than working with your childhood hero and then working with someone like roger penske yeah uh, that's it doesn't get much better than that i've i've kind of been uh, i've been pretty fortunate really to have to have had the career i've had I've, i don't take it for granted i pinch myself every day and 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 yeah, it's, it's something that uh, it's quite humbling to work with people like that. And likewise, in my political career before I got involved in motorsport, I worked with some pretty interesting people from prime ministers through the presidents of the United States, for goodness sake. When you're in the company of these people, it's hard not to think, how the hell did I get here? Like, you feel like a pretender. You, you feel like you have imposter syndrome until you realise that you're there for a reason, that, that other people have recognised... Ta- whether it's talent, uh, competency, whatever it is, and said, you know what, you're deserving of, of an opportunity. So that's something I never take for granted when working with people every day. If you recognise that someone has the potential and, and, and perhaps they're not operating at their, at their operational ceiling, they've got more runway, they've got something more to give, I feel like you have a responsibility, particularly when someone has taken that uh, position with you, where someone has said, you know what, you you deserve a chance. You have to you have to pay it forward, so to speak. If you see someone who's deserving of an opportunity, you have to tap them on the shoulder and, and, and let them and let them run with it. And and likewise too, I think that when you when you uh, empower someone to do something different and to when you challenge them to do something different, you also have to give them the bandwidth to do that. You can't micromanage them. You can't crowd them. You have to let them make mistakes and learn from them. I think that that's that's I mean that's basic management one hundred and one, but it's something that it's something that isn't necessarily a common thread. Uh, it certainly hasn't been a common thread throughout my career. It's been it's been special 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 operators, special people who have really exhibited those traits. And I've been very lucky to learn from some of the best in the business over over many years now, and really to try and emulate that uh, that level of competency, that that capacity, and that level of success. I, I'm I'm not I'm not a person who's who's as good. As any of some, as any of these people that I've worked with over the years, but if you recognise talent, you have to give it the opportunity and let those people flourish and let those people do what they have the potential to be great at, and not stand in their way. I'm going to follow up that very earnest response with a um, with a pretty silly question. If we were uh, getting our good friend Will Hall here from Authentic Collectibles to take us out for dinner, what sort of restaurant are we going for? What are you uh, What are you recommending? What's the cuisine? Well, I, I can say this. William and, and Tristan from Authentics are, are very, very good friends of mine. And I have actually seen William's wallet. <laughs> now, I can't say that about all of my mates. He's a rare one that, that I can say I've seen his wallet. So I, I was fortunate enough to have dinner with, well, I joined late because I'd, I'd come back from the trek. This was at Adelaide. So it was three, three very good friends of mine, 
Will, Will Tristan and Sundas Hanna, who looks after all of the Shell V-Power Racing Team's corporate hospitality from Octane Events. She's a great friend of ours. And, and yeah, at the end of the night, Will got his wallet out and, and duly paid. And, uh, yeah, I'm always impressed when someone else gets their wallet out because usually at the end of the night, everyone turns to me. <laughs> he did invite me to the authentic Christmas party at the end of last year as well. So I will, I'll, I'll vouch for him on that front as well. Um, when you uh, when you have a big win and you've had plenty of them, you know, at, at DJR and DJR Team Penske, what do you turn to first? Is it a beer, a uh, champagne, some spirits? I think you're a spirits man, aren't you? Look, I am. I am. I don't mind a decent scotch uh, or, a, or a decent red. You know, I'm a South Australian, so I pretend to know everything there is to know about wine. Uh, but you know, after you've had after you've had had a win, you're automatically thinking about the next one. If you spend too much time thinking about it, someone's going to pass you by. That's well, you've saw you've saw skirted that reasonably well. Um, do you have a secret hangover cures? Is the last question. I mean, you are a doctor. Have you got something something that could help? <laughs> well, look, I'm not that sort of doctor, but I, I can tell you that. this: this is this is deep in the vault. I've only ever had one hangover in my life, and it was after an election loss some years ago, and. It was an election loss that was very expected. And it was a few days later and I was like, why am I not as sad about this as what everyone else around me is? And, uh, and I ended up having a, a rather big night and uh, at a very painful morning and haven't had a hangover since. So I think it's a case of once bitten, twice shy. But uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of, uh, for example, someone like William Hall, who, uh, who, who on, on his, uh, on, on, in, in, in his day and, and, and of, a, of an evening where he, chooses to partake in, uh, in, in letting his hair down a bit, uh, knows, how to, know, knows how to do it in style, let's say. <laughs> well, thanks very much. That's, for about as dip, that's about as diplomatic as I can get, AVL. That's about that's as diplomatic about, as I, I get. I agree. I'm going to keep my, my trap well and truly shut on this front as well because I've had the odd night out with the man. But anyway, um, thank you for uh, joining us on the first episode of the, of the Hard Card. You have been an amazing guest, Ryan. We really appreciate your time given the fact you do have a whole bunch of stuff going on at the moment. So, yeah, it's, it's really appreciated. Well, look, AVO, you've got to start at the bottom and work your way up. So if I'm episode one, it's uh, it's it's nothing but roses from here, pal. So all the best. Well, you just tap into that contact book for us and get us. This guy. Clicks, I, think. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think he's pretty busy at the moment. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, thank you again. We'll be back next uh, in the next couple of weeks with a new episode of the Hard Card Podcast at Authentic Collectibles. Thanks for listening and or watching.